the few, the proud, the Marines of the church. Um, I'm not sure whether we should all be commended for our bravery or foolishness this morning, but I do know we have some, nor- mostly Northerners are here, amen? Like mostly people that are like, yeah, come on guys. Like if you're from Michigan, Minnesota, some of the, I mean, Buffalo, we, our worship leader's from Buffalo. Like he's like, nah, man. Like this is when you, you, you get ready to go shovel out the Buffalo Bill Stadium in this weather. You get excited when the snow comes down. So um, yeah, man, thanks for coming. And, uh, and, and if somebody showed up and was like, man, why didn't you cancel services earlier? Just a quick note, when our tech teams and everybody made it in at seven, we assumed it would be a little bit better by nine, and it was worse. So uh, sorry for the late notice on that. But this is actually perfect because I wanted you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six, we are gonna read a story about a storm and the Lord has seen fit to provide us with a 3D, 4D experience of the word this morning, right? Remember when, uh, you know, the IMAX came out? It's like, it's so realistic. It's like you're there, you know? The seats rumble, like everything. Oh, the Lord has done even better than IMAX this morning. You drove through a real storm, or if you're at home, one is outside your window, and we're gonna learn the story of a storm. And one of the things we'll see is that Storms reveal what you really think about things in life. And we'll get back to that in a second. But I want to read the text, Matthew chapter 6, verse 45. This is God's word. And if you're here, if you're online, I'm so grateful that you've prioritized and prized God's word that even on a snowy day, you're making time for it. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is God's word. And Lord, I just pray for those here and those gathered on the couch, God, that you would meet us, encourage us. May this be a memorable day in the word this morning. Amen. Well, I drove here in a minivan uh, from, from a decent distance out from the church this morning. Now, when we bought the minivan, I felt great about the minivan. I felt great about the choice. It was a nice minivan. I'm looking at all kinds of things, you know, like, does it have enough seats for the, the, the kids we have? Does it, does it have out, has even outlets for people to plug their Kindles into? It has this and that, and it's great. It has automatic doors. It's, you know, it's great. It's a great van. As I got into the van this morning, I began to suddenly question the decision because I thought, okay, yeah, the, this does not look like, like a 
like a snow-worthy vehicle. And as I pulled out of the neighborhood, uh, I started to notice, like, yeah, you know what? I, I, this doesn't have all-wheel drive, and, and this, is, this is a terrible shape. And if it gets windy, it's like a sail. I'm driving a sail in a snowstorm. That is not ideal, right? And, and as I'm driving, as the snow crunches under my tires, I'm feeling like, you know what? This is not, I, we need more traction here. We should have we paid more for the better tires. And all of a sudden, at, at, and then, you know, my, my car starts making kind of a sound that's like, is that a, is that, was that always here? Is that a normal sound? Is that a good sound? Is that a bad sound? Is it, you know? And all of a sudden, everything about the car, I begin to question. And what I really believe about the car begins to get revealed in my heart. That I'm like, you know, on a sunny day, sure, I trust the minivan. On a snowy day, no, I don't trust that. I wouldn't drive that thing 10 feet anymore like after, after driving it here. Now, Jen, my wife, had the opposite experience today because our other car is a Subaru that she drove in early. It's got all-wheel drive. And so I asked her, how was the drive-in? And her response was something like, fine, right? Like, it, and, and in fact, her experience was, I was, I was asking her, do you think you're going to have any trouble getting home today? Are you worried about that? And she's like, no, I'll just take the Subaru, right? I mean, this is an all-wheel, all-terrain vehicle. It's built for these kinds of situations. So her experience was, as I grew to trust the van less and less, she grew to trust her car more and more. And both of those get revealed by the storm that we're in, right? And in a similar way, the disciples are having this experience where they're out on the boat, they're alone, they don't see Jesus around, and they begin, as, you, as we'll see in the text, they begin to fear more and more. And what they believe about Jesus and what they believe about God begins to come out, and what comes out is they don't really trust the Lord. And in a similar way, I think the Lord means to help us see maybe there are some places we don't truly trust the Lord the way we think we do this morning. So the main idea here is this, that our storms around us reveal something. They reveal that Jesus is higher than we think and nearer than we think. It reveals who Jesus really is, but we got to get through our doubts and difficulties first. So first point today is not who we think. Now, this story happens right after the passage uh, that Vince preached on last week about Jesus feeding this giant crowd of people miraculously, right? And, and Jesus' popularity obviously skyrockets when people realize he can make, you know, thousand, multiple thousand person meals at the wave of his hand. And so his, the crowd is pressing in, the crowd's in an uproar, and Jesus knows that this isn't healthy. We, we need to we need to get away. We need to spend time with the Lord. And so he takes his disciples. They've been ministering all day, and he tells them to go across uh, the water where they can get rest away from the crowd. And so it's late. They're tired, but they trust Jesus. They trust Jesus enough to get in the boat, even when Jesus says, oh, this time I'm, I'm not going to go with you. And they say, well, Okay. So Jesus stays, he prays alone, he sends his disciples over the lake, and it's important to remember that, that the disciples, when they encounter these difficulties, they would remember that Jesus had sent them into the difficulties, right? They would know, they know enough about Jesus to know he, he should have known. He probably did, why is he sending us out into the middle of the lake when a storm is coming? Is Jesus really the kind of person that would send us into a storm? Sometimes we don't have a category for that. And the answer in the passage is yes. Jesus sometimes is the kind of person that sends us into a storm. He, here's what I want us to just get in this subpoint here. Jesus' goal for our lives and for the disciples' lives 
is not that we would have a safe, warm, pain-free life. That is usually our goal for our life, right? Like, what's your main goal in life? We may have lots of goals, but really our goal is we want to stay safe, warm, and pain-free as much as possible. But that is not Jesus' goal for us. In fact, Jesus, as we're going to see in this passage, his goal is something else all together. Jesus is discipling his disciples, and what he's doing in this passage is revealing their hearts and showing them his glory. Sometimes when we encounter storms in life, we encounter them not because, and we, we, we take, well, if there was a storm, then Jesus must not love me. No, maybe Jesus loves us in a better, deeper way than, than we imagine. Maybe he intends to do something deeper than keep us pain-free and dry. <laughs> then we read this. They saw that they were making, painful, making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And so what's happening here is the, the journey across the, the, the sea here should have been relatively short. So you imagine like a teardrop-shaped lake here or, or body of water. They're meant to cut across the short way, in a sense, but they get blown south into, like, it, deeper into the water. So as the, the water is, I mean, as the storm is pushing them, it's not just pushing them away from the shore, it's pushing them further into deep water. And so that's why they, they should have gotten across the lake, but they're still hours later, still trying to make it to shore. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. Now, my first reaction here is like, come on, guys, who else do you know that walks around on water and does stuff like that? Like anybody, anybody that you might know that has miraculous abilities that might be out on the water? Immediately, no, they, they say, no, it's a ghost. Why? Well, remember, they've been out here for hours. They're tired. They're exhausted. And the fourth watch is between 3 and 6 a.m., right? So 4 a.m., 5 a.m., like 4 a.m., nothing good happens, you're not having any good thoughts at 4 a.m. And so they, they see this person coming, and they think the only way this situation could get worse is if we were now going to be attacked by a ghost, a phantasma in the Greek, a phantom. They've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen him do miracles, but they don't think, oh, this must be Jesus. Why? Why don't they think this must be Jesus? Well, what they really think about Jesus gets revealed. They, they underestimated Jesus. They thought Jesus was lower than he actually is. Maybe they thought he could quiet a storm, but could he really so rule over creation that every wave, every drop of water was under his command? Is that really how far his power extends? Or maybe they thought this might be Jesus, but it can't be Jesus because he would never do something like this. If, if he truly was that powerful and if he was truly out on the water with us, he would stop this storm immediately, right? This can't be Jesus because the way he's using his power is not the way that I think he would use his power, so it must not be him. Now, for us to find the answer to this dilemma, we got to dig into a weird part of the text in verse 48. Maybe you caught this and you thought, this is a little odd, because it says... He meant to pass by them. Is that strike anybody else is being a little weird? <laughs> like, he meant to what? It doesn't say he meant to go to them or he meant to help them. It says he meant to pass by them. And you're thinking, that doesn't make any sense. And in fact, some of the, the commentators try to help 
the text out here and say, well, you know, it, it could possibly, if you stretch it, mean he was passing by. But, but the actual language, the Greek, is in a statement of intent. He intended, he purposed to pass them by. So why would Jesus do that? Well, actually, that phrase, passing by them or pass them by, is actually a quotation, a near quotation, of the Greek Old Testament. So if you, if you compared those two, they'd be almost exactly parallel. And here is the first place that phrase occurs. Exodus 33, Moses said, let me, please, let me see your glory. But God said, you cannot see my face, for, my, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And then again in 1 Kings 19.11, where God tells Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And it says, and at that moment, the Lord passed by. That parallel is intentional because, remember, Mark's gospel is based on the Apostle Peter's recollections. So Peter, retelling this story to Mark, probably realizes or grasps what he did not grasp when it was occurring in the moment. He, Peter now sees that similar to God's glory being revealed to Moses and God's glory being revealed to Elijah, Jesus intended to reveal his glory to the disciples, Jesus knew that the disciples did not get who he was yet. So he intended to pass by them to give them a glimpse of the glory of God. Jesus is revealing himself not just as a good teacher, not just as a miracle worker, but something utterly greater and stranger and more impossible at first to understand. What is he revealing his glory in? Well, Jesus knows that the disciples, they are familiar with the Old Testament. And there's a theme in the Old Testament that, that God's power is pictured in multiple places as being a God who walks the waves. That's how God describes himself. In fact, in Job chapter 9, as he who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. In, in that chapter, there's all this creation stuff going on, and, and God is pictured as creating, as throwing out the stars as he walks the waves, because only God can do that. Only God can do that. Later, when God responds to Job, when he says, you know, dress for action like a man, I will respond to you. And, and Job is essentially put in his place as he beholds the glory of God. God asks Job this question. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked the recesses of the deep? What Jesus is doing is showing his disciples, I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a miracle worker. I am God himself, the God of Job 9, the God of Job 28, the God of the Old Testament. I walk the waves. I am God himself. And this is all made even more explicit 
When Jesus does something strange, before he calms the storm, so imagine Jesus is there, he's approaching, and what does he say to the disciples as he gets into the boat? He immediately says this. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. Why why don't be afraid? It is I. The phrase is literally, I am. Ego a me. He's saying, this is who I am. I am the great I am of Exodus 3. When, when Moses encounters the Lord in the burning bush, what, what name does the, does the Lord give him? I am. The name I am means that there's nothing. I'm not like anything. I'm not kind of similar to anything. I'm not, I don't need anything from creation. I rule over creation. There is no parallel. There is no substitute. There is no similar. I am. That is what he says in Exodus. And in fact, in Isaiah 52, in a section about the coming Messiah and the last days being inaugurated, it says this, therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. What is Jesus doing in this moment, passing by the disciples, saying what he's saying, doing what he's doing? All of it is meant to reveal the glory of the incarnate Son of God as the great I am. Not a rabbi, not a teacher, not a social justice activist, not a political revolutionary, but something far greater, the great I am, the wave walker, the sea ruler. This is what the disciples are missing In this moment, this God is transcendent and over and above all creation, and yet he walks to them in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. Transcendence and imminence together in the person of Jesus. So what does that mean for us? Well, we can be just like the disciples so often. Our circumstances have the effect of shrinking our view of Jesus. When we encounter a storm, our first thought is, oh, wow, this storm makes me see the power of God himself. Now, our first storm is, well, God, what if God's out of control? What if he can't really control this? What if he's not going to help me? What, what, what if I don't know him like I thought I did? We begin to think, oh, Jesus must not be that powerful. He can't be that powerful to control all these things. And yet passages like this help us. They lift our eyes. They see, you know, instead of shrinking our view of Jesus, it actually should expand our view of Jesus. It should make us see, man, sometimes the Lord calms the storms and sometimes he governs every wave for the revelation of his glory in our lives. We say Jesus would never work like this. Jesus would never do that. He'd never send this. He'd never allow this. But that is us putting Jesus in our box of who he is and he refuses to stay there. In reality, our hard circumstances are most often where Jesus does the greatest revelation of his glory in our lives. It is when we feel waves and feel the salt in our eyes and our backs are straining at the oars and we catch a glimpse of an undiminished, undeterred, immovable Jesus on the waves that we truly understand who he is. Look, maybe this year you've struggled with thinking things like, God wouldn't allow blank in a pandemic. God wouldn't allow this. He wouldn't use this. He wouldn't send this. Whether it's a pandemic or a long-term health issue or a broken relationship or a time of spiritual dryness or a bout with depression, we think these things must mean that Jesus is not as powerful as I thought. 
But remember the context of the Gospel of Mark. Remember what Mark and Peter are doing to encourage the church. This is a time of persecution, of rising persecution in the church. They would have been tempted to feel the same things. Well, if Jesus is really powerful, then we wouldn't be experiencing this persecution. If Jesus is really powerful, we would be getting more popular, not less popular. If Jesus is powerful, our businesses would be booming, not shrinking, as people don't want to buy from us. But as we see in the book of Acts, what if that persecution is actually what God uses to cause the church to spread and flourish in the first century and to take the gospel from one end of the empire to the other? What if he's not just the God of the calm, but the God of the waves, the waves that push us to where he intends for us to go? What if God is so much bigger than we thought? This is where I'm so helped by things in the middle of the pandemic, like our friend JP at this this small, out-of-the-way village in India that you think, man, no, no missionary agencies targeting this village. And it just seemed like impossible for the gospel to break into this village. And through the pandemic, God opens the doors as our church sends money and he distributes food. And all of a sudden, people who would never even talk to him or look at him on the street are greeting him with Christian greetings, wanting to know more about Jesus. What if God is not just the God of the calm, but the God of the waves? What if God uses pandemics to open people's hearts to the gospel to save their eternal souls, right? This is the God that we have. What if he is so much greater and bigger? What if he's so much more in control than we imagine? This is where we hear Jesus' words, take heart. It is I. I am. Do not be afraid. When the waves come and the winds come, rather than fearing, we should remember we know the wave walker. We know the storm king. We know the one who rules the waves. Second point, not where we think. He's not what we think, but he's also not where, or not who we think, he's also not where we think. The other puzzling circumstance of the text is that Jesus doesn't get into the boat with them. He allows them to be distant from him, in a sense. We can ask the same thing in in hard circumstances. We can say, where is Jesus? Man, if Jesus really cared about us, if he knew this was going to happen, he would be in the boat with us, right? Where is he? Now, the first thing to notice here is that they're never out of Jesus' sight or out of Jesus' care. It's not like Jesus is, you know, praying. He's like, yeah, whatever happens to them happens. No, he's, he's mindful of them. He's looking for them. It's not like he happens to see them in the waves. He sees them. He sees them in the waves. They haven't escaped his notice. You, Christian, have not escaped his notice today. Now, you might say, well, if Jesus really wanted to help the disciples, why didn't he just calm the storm from up on the mountain and then walk over? Remember? He intends to show them his glory in this powerful, unique way, right? That is a divine kindness. What, what, Jesus knows this. What are these disciples going to need in a decade or two decades as persecution is bearing down on them? When the, when the waves are not just, you know, water, but swords and persecution and hardship. What do they need? They need to see a God who rules the waves. So he intends to show them that God. Now, he knows that. He comes near to them. He draws near to bring this lesson to him. He draws near that they might see him and find courage, right? Sometimes when when we're in the middle of, you know, floundering in the winds and waves, sometimes it is God's kindness that he comes near to us and we, and we, we have this sense of, oh, he's right there. He hasn't left. We haven't escaped his care. He's right there with us. 
But here's how they respond, verse 50. For they all saw, saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then verse 51 is, I think, the most surprising part of the text. And he got into the boat with them. Right? These guys, man, what, what else could Jesus do to display his glory to these disciples to get them to trust him? I mean, he's, he's, he's calmed storms in an instant. He's fed crowds. He's cast out demons. He's taken on a legion of demons single-handedly. He's brought people back from the dead. I mean, this is just, this is insane. And they respond to Jesus with terror, not with faith. But how does Jesus respond to them? And he got into the boat with them. Oh, church. Jesus draws near even to the doubters, even to the faithless, even to the, the, the people too thick to get the lesson right in front of them. This is who Jesus is, the Savior who seeks and saves the lost, the Savior who approaches doubters and sinners and gets into the boat with them, right? This truly is the... the, the the deity and character of Jesus on full display, his transcendence and his imminence fully meeting, the, the God high above all things, and yet the God also getting into the boat with them, fully God and yet fully human, fully man and yet fully Mary's son with his calloused carpenter hands climbing into the boat, putting his hand on their shoulder. In this moment, we see a picture of all of Jesus' ministry. This is, in a sense, the, an encapsulation of the whole story of the Bible. The story of humanity is the story of God revealing his glory to humanity, and yet humanity turning away. And yet, instead of abandoning these people, instead of abandoning humanity altogether, God draws near to his people. He draws near to them in a flaming bush, in a pillar of fire on Mount Sinai. He draws near in a tabernacle. He dwells in the midst of them. In a temple, he dwells in the midst of them. And yet what do God's people do? They still turn away. They still run from him. So God draws even nearer. What is the incarnation of the Son of God but God getting into the boat with us? Rather than turning away from us, he climbs in. And on the cross, on the cross, he goes even further. See, often in, in Scripture, storms are a metaphor for the wrath or judgment of God. And yet this picture is that when Jesus comes near to us, the judgment of God ceases. Now, how does that happen? It happens because as Jesus hangs on the cross, what, what's the weather around him? It's dark. It is stormy. It is full of wrath and justice that he is bearing in the place of sinners and doubters and people like you and me. And yet he drains the wrath of God. He drains the ang angry sea, as it were, to its last drop to bring calm and peace to all who will come and believe in him. Look, just like the disciples, when the waves and the winds come, we can begin to think, oh, God is distant. God is far away. But this text shows us, no, 
The opposite is true. It is often through those times that God draws the nearest to us. It is often through the winds and waves that God comes to us. It it is in the midst of the sea, salt, air biting our faces that we look to find Jesus and look to see a God who knows every pitch of the boat, every blast of the air, every wave of the sea, and who truly does understand. And it is through the winds and the waves that we see the cross, see that this storm of our own making could be endless, and yet in Christ, it is but a moment and then calm forever. I was listening recently to an interview with a a pastor named Tim Keller who, um, you guys may be familiar with some of his books. He's got some good stuff. Don't agree with everything, but but, but seems like a a guy that really loves the Lord. And I was listening to an interview with him where he was diagnosed last year with pancreatic cancer. And so if you know anything about pancreatic cancer, that's one of the ones that you don't come back from very often, if at all. And so for the last year, he's been in quarantine, and not just been in quarantine, he's been in chemo quarantine. So his life is going to chemotherapy and going and sitting by himself, unable to see his family with only his wife. And the interviewer asked him, what is your biggest fear right now? And I think the interviewer was intending to to, to help humanize Keller and say, like, he has fears like everybody else. What what are you afraid of? And Keller responded in this way that I just thought, man, that, that is... It's so interesting. He, he says this, my biggest fear is that if God heals me, that I would go back to having the same relationship with God I had before I was diagnosed. And the interview is like pushing on him. Like, what do you mean? And he said, and you could, you could feel almost like the, the tears in his chest and his eyes where he said, God feels so near to me. And he described how he cries, he and his wife cry probably every day, but in it, they feel and know the presence of God in a way that they never have before. Sometimes, church, God calms the storm, and sometimes he uses the waves to bring us to him. Charles Spurgeon once said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me on the rock of ages. So what do we say in conclusion? Where does this leave us? Well, here's where it leaves us. I trust my minivan much less today than I did yesterday. I trust the Subaru far more today than I did yesterday. And in the storms of life, what God means for us to do is to begin to trust him more today than we did before the waves began. The two quick applications here we see modeled in the text. We are to do two things faced with this reality. First, we are to stay on our knees. If if the Lord means to reveal his glory and his care and his nearness to us, how do we... How do we draw near to him as he draws near to us? We stay on our knees, right? Jesus models this. Jesus, the incarnate son of God, what do we find him doing in this text? He is on his knees before the father in communion. That that is the, he's modeling for the disciples the posture that they should have had in the storm, leaning into dependence on God, not self-reliance. Tim, Kent Hughes, a a scholar and commentator says this, uh, a And he shares the following story. He says, a famous Old Testament scholar of past years named George Adam Smith once climbed the Weisshorn above the Sermet Valley in Switzerland 
with his guide on a stormy day. They made the ascent on the sheltered side. And when they reached the top, exhilarated by the thought of the view before him and the triumph of having attained the summit, but forgetting about the gale, Smith sprang to the top of the peak and was almost blown over the edge by the wind. His guide grabbed him and pulled him down and said, on your knees. You are only safe here on your knees. Church, when the storms of life come, the safest place for us to be is on our knees, just like Jesus modeled, pressing in fellowship to him. And the second thing we should be doing is rowing and trusting. (laughs) These disciples had to row and trust, row and trust. Jesus didn't stop the storm. And so while he chooses not to stop the storm, we continue to row and trust. And again, Kent Hughes ends I'll end with this from him. He says, Jesus calls all of us who are in the boat to follow his course. Today, with eyes wide open, will you commit yourself to sailing where he directs? Will you commit yourself to following him when the inevitable storms come? Those who keep their lives pointed in the direction that Christ dictates will encounter contrary winds. But, and I love this, they will also experience the wind of the Holy Spirit in their sails, bearing them on in power, healing, and blessing to a needy world. In the storm, we see that Jesus is so much higher than we ever thought, so much more exalted and glorious than we ever thought, but also so much nearer. Let's trust him. Amen? All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you today that as we encounter the storms of life, you are not distant from us. You are not removed and uh, uncaring in your posture toward us. You climb into the boat with us. So I pray for anybody today going through the storms of life, God, that right now, whether they're on their couch or in this room, that they would feel in a tangible way through the Spirit's work you climbing into the boat with them. If they have felt like storm-tossed on the seas of life all alone, not knowing what will happen, I pray that today they would sense your nearness with them. And I also pray, God, that in the storms of life, we would behold what we're meant to behold. We would behold our glory, that as we see the instability of the world around us, we begin to love and rejoice all the more in the stability of Christ our Savior. As we see the storms around us, the chaos around us, we would learn to love and behold all the more the sure and steady Savior walking toward us. Would you do this in your name, we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing about.